0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today, as always. Um, I don't know about you, but I do not do well with plants. Uh, I've been a priest for a couple of years now, and I've received plants as gifts, and I always appreciate them. But usually within a week or maybe even a few days, they end up looking like that. And um, maybe some of you can relate to this. Yeah, Any, any plant killers out there? You just, no matter what you do. But what happens is we get in denial that it is dead. And we say, if I just feed it a little bit more, fertilize it a little bit more, give it a little bit more water, scoot it a little bit closer to the sun, it'll come back to life. It'll be alive. And then one day we have to face the fact that it's toast. It is a goner. It is dead, and so we plant something new that is beautiful and thrives and is alive. Um, Paul, in his uh, letter to the Corinthians, says something that very many people are familiar with. He says, "So if there, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new." Creation, the old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new, and so i 'm just using this as an imagery for that verse today because we 're going to reflect on this passage of um, something old and something new, something that gives us an image of what God does for those who are in Christ Jesus so we 're going to actually work a little bit through part of the passage in second Corinthians. If you want to follow along in your bulletin insert um, we 're starting it 's about if I recall about halfway down in the second paragraph. I know you don't have verses, um, and I do in my Bible, but it's verse 14 that we're going to start with, and it's uh, where Paul begins like this, for the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. See, the love of Christ, the love that he's talking about, it's not it's not a sentimental uh, kind of nice feeling. Jesus has butterflies in his stomach when he thinks about you. That's not the kind of love Paul is talking about. He's talking about a really powerful, strong, objective love that Jesus Christ has for lost sheep who are separated from him. Okay, and Paul says this is what compels us as apostles to proclaim the gospel what Paul is doing in this passage, in this letter that he's writing to this people, is he's defending um, his apostleship against some other uh, false apostles who, who would say that Paul is just all talk and he's not really a real apostle and he doesn't have enough street cred. And Paul is defending himself to the Corinthians. And so what he's doing is he's saying, let me give you an image of what the test is of, for an authentic Christian life. And in so doing, he actually shows us what it looks like for us to live an authentic Christian life. Then he says, one has died for all. You see, no one, no one is excluded from the sphere of God's saving purposes. His hand is extended to all who would receive it, to all who would receive the forgiveness of sins and have peace with their maker. Now, why did he die? Why did he die? Why did the one die for all? Well, Paul tells us in verse 15, why did he die for all? Uh, so that people would start going to church and do good things for their neighbors? So that people would be able to just kind of relax and enjoy life and plan for a nice, good retirement. So that people could continue to live the same life, more or less with a little Jesus dashed on top. No, he says so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. This is the uh, powerful symbolism of baptism, especially if you've ever seen a baptism by immersion. I come from a tradition. I was baptized. I was dunked in a cold lake in Michigan. But the, the symbolism of baptism is that there's an old part of us, an old dead part of us that is going under the water, in a sense being drowned. It is going to death. And we are being raised into a new life coming alive in Christ. The old me goes away and there's a new me a new creation. You know, some people have been baptized, Some maybe as babies, maybe as adults, but they've never actually stopped living for themselves. They, she, they've just taken the Jesus salt shaker and they've dashed a little bit of Jesus on top of the main dish, which is actually a very self-serving life. And Paul says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. See, Jesus didn't die just so that people could occasionally acknowledge him and his teachings and say, oh, that's nice. He kind of makes me feel good sometimes with some of the things that he says. He died to make joyful, fully surrendered, obedient followers who put every aspect of their life under his lordship, who go to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. All of my life is yours. See, we think about the gospel sometimes in terms of self-improvement. We really do. This is a mindset that we all fall into sometimes. And we think, um, as long as I'm improving a little bit, um, if, I'm in, if there's a little self-improvement going on, I'm doing good. Um, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He says, fallen man, that is a sinful humanity apart from God. He says, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. See, we have to surrender absolutely everything to Jesus as Lord to be his followers. You can't, there's no such thing as a half Jesus follower. That's not being a new creation. Now he goes on and he says in verse 16, "Uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. What in the world are you talking about? St. Paul. This is a weirdly wordy. Have you ever read this verse and scratch your head? Well, what is he talking about? Human point of view. We don't regard Christ from a human point of view anymore. It's very kind of confusing. But here's what he's saying. He's saying he knows Christ now, not only as a human who walked the earth, he knows him as the divine Lord of life. He knows him from, if you will, a spiritual perspective, a heavenly perspective. And he's saying this is how we have to evaluate what an authentic Christian life is. We don't regard people according to an earthly perspective, earthly prestige and accolades. We look at what the uh, spiritual fruit is that they are bearing in their life that says they are truly have been made new in Jesus Christ. See, we like being known from a human point of view. We like being known from a human, what Paul calls a human point of view. We like being uh, recognized for our accolades, for our personal achievements. We like being known for the people that we can attach our name to, the circles that we run with. Uh, We like to be regarded from a human point of view. And you know what Paul says to the Corinthians? He says, that is a worldly mindset. You are living, you are thinking with a worldly mind. And he's trying to bring them to see things from a different perspective. There's no way that you can test the authenticity of a Christian life based on someone's personal achievements and worldly accolades. Now, he goes on in verse 17. There's good news. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Notice the first two words, if anyone if anyone, you know, Paul is speaking um, autobiographically here because he's saying, if anyone, if I, who Paul was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. He hated Christians. He despised them. He thought that they were actually uh, blasphemers, that they contradicted um, the God of Israel that he worshiped and he pursued them, sought them down to seek to have them imprisoned and stoned to death. And he says, if Jesus can change my life, And soften my big, tough, stone heart. He can change anyone. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you have been living, if you come to Christ, you have gone from being this to being this. Anyone is a new creation who is in Christ See, this language of new creation, when you think of the language of creation in the Bible, it's always hearkening back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1. Um, There's a reason that Paul is using that language. He's saying when somebody comes to Jesus and puts their faith in him or renews their faith in him and they have not been walking with him for a long time and they, they come back to Jesus, he says God looks at that person and he says, let there be light. It's an act of creation that only God can bring about by the work that he does in people's lives by transforming them in Jesus. Amazing. Now, he goes on and he says, everything old has passed away. In the Greek, this is in a verb tense called the aorist, and it implies that it's a one-time single action. It's completed. So everything old, all of this is completely dead. It's gone when you are in Christ. The old has completely passed away. And yet Paul, missionary, pastor, and bishop that he was traveling from church to church throughout the ancient world, he saw that people struggled with this. He saw that people who were supposed to be this were still feeding this dead plant. They were pouring fertilizer on it and watering this old me with all of its sinful habits and attitudes and addictions and desire for prestige and power and, and causing divisiveness in the churches. And he saw this and he's telling them, look. This is dead. God put that to death when you were baptized in the name of Christ and he raised you as this new, beautiful, flourishing creation. Why are you feeding this? Why do we feed it, friends? Why do we feed it? We go back to it every so often and give it a little bit. There's something there that we think is going to be life-giving. We think we can bring it back to life. And this is dead. This is dead. It's a struggle even today for Christians... Wrestling with this tension of being who we are in Christ and falling back into bad old patterns and habits, a dead life. I want to suggest that there's. Um, I want to suggest three reasons. There's probably a lot, but I want to suggest three reasons that we feed this old dead thing. There's three reasons we feed this old dead thing. The first is this: we separate the sacred from the secular. We separate Sunday from the rest of the week. We separate the religious from the regular. Um, Archbishop Michael Ramsey, he was a very well-known, very popular Archbishop of Canterbury um, in the 80s. And he wrote this. He said, there is the tendency of religious people often to picture to themselves a God who is supremely interested in the religious aspect of human life, in the religious relationship of people to himself, and in all that belongs to the promotion of religious practice and culture, and is less interested in the drama of human life itself. And he said, what a tragedy. For people to view God that way. That God is only concerned or present with what we do on Sunday. But not in every other area of our life. When we're with our husband or wife. When we're with our children. When we're in community with other people. How we serve the poor. You see, we we can't just see just the Eucharist on Sunday as the sacred place where we meet Jesus. It is and it is the sacred place par excellence where we meet Jesus. But we have to see the everyday moments, how we communicate with other people in our communities, how we serve the poor in Jesus' name. See, if we don't keep feeding, if we don't realize that Jesus is Lord of all of the moment, every moment of life, we'll keep feeding this thing. We'll keep forgetting, you'll forget that you're this and you'll start living like this again. And this needs to be laid to rest once and for all. Number two, is this the second reason that we end up going back to this and feeding this is prayerlessness? Prayerlessness. This is a struggle for some of you, I know. But you can't live as a new creation in Christ without regular communication with him. You have to have regular communication from him, and it has to be more than simply just reading words on a page. Don't get me wrong. I love the daily office. I pray it every day. It's one of the reasons I'm a priest. It's one of the reasons I'm an Episcopalian. I love beautiful written prayers, but the reality is is that some of you need to set written prayers aside for the next six months and learn how to cry out to God from the depths of your heart, with your own words, with honesty, with all of your brokenness. Friends, God invites us into his presence warts and all. And he wants honesty from us. Read through the Psalms. Look at how honest the psalmists are. They, they groan and complain about things to God. They blame God for things and say, where are you? They're honest. They ask for God to, to, to wreak havoc on their enemies. God invites us to come into his presence and to seek comfort, consolation, strength. Strength for the battle against our old self. And he wants us to do with honesty. Are you struggling with doubt? Tell him. Tell him honestly. He can handle it. Are, are you struggling um, with, with coming up with words to express how grateful for you that you are for the things he's done in your life? Just tell him that. Tell him you're struggling with words, but you feel really grateful. God delights in honest prayers that come from our hearts. There's no need to put on a religious facade when we approach the living God who desires relationship with us. Friends, I believe that prayer is the biggest untapped resource that we have. It is the biggest untapped resource that we have that we are not using. There's one of our um, colleagues in our prayers in the prayer book, and it says, God is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. But here's the thing. His mercies are new every morning. If this is a struggle for you, wake up tomorrow tomorrow. And realize that you are this. Say, I am a new creation in Christ and I am going to start again. And I'm going to go to God with honest prayers from my heart and cry out to him. Number three, this is a hard one. The reason that we go back to this, the reason that we keep feeding this is because we fear what will have to change in our lives if we're really going to live like this. There's things over here that we've convinced that we still need to hold on to. Things that give us temporary satisfaction. Things that actually drain us of life and don't draw us close to God. Things that actually hinder us from God's presence. But we fear what we will have to change. Let me tell you a personal story about this. Shortly after I um, gave my life to Jesus, I um, wanted to continue to party with my friends because it was such a part of my lifestyle to drink excessively and have fun. And I love the social aspect of it. It was a great social life. and um, And it was just all the time, you know, college. It was all the time. And so I kept doing that. And something in me, though, was saying, what are you doing? Why are you still feeding this? The Holy Spirit was saying, you can't live like this when I've made you this. But see, I was afraid of the change that would have to happen. I would have to say no to some invitations. I would have to tell my friends, I can't get drunk anymore because it is not God's will for his creatures to be living lives of drunkenness and carousing. And I have to stop because I've been made new in Jesus. And I knew that that would be difficult and awkward and uncomfortable, but the Lord had to bring me to that point. He had to break my hard heart and bring me to that point to give up that lifestyle. I wonder what some of you struggle with, are afraid of, that you have to give up, that you have to let go of. And you have to be this. Paul is saying, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Become what you are. Let go of everything that is hindering you from living fully into this life. Stop telling yourself that it's okay to feed this. It's gone. It's dead. Let it go. Here's what's behind this. Um, in the Bible, the concept is the flesh and the spirit, that there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And um, Paul talks a lot about it in the book of Romans. But the flesh is not the is not just our physical body. The flesh in the Bible is actually the concept of humanity under the power of sin and death, under the power of sin and death. And the spirit is the Holy Spirit of God at work in our lives when we come to Christ. He breathes his Holy Spirit into us and empowers us to overcome those fleshly desires. The flesh is this. The flesh says, you are, no, you are this. You live here. You you will find pleasure here. There's nothing over there for you. That's the flesh. It's the thing that rises up in you when somebody cuts you off on the freeway. (laughs) That's the flesh. That is your flesh. And Paul, the, the biblical imagery here is of going from death to life from flesh to spirit. But for Christians, you see, it's an ongoing battle. It is an ongoing battle that will always be there until we meet the Lord face to face. And we have to make active choices and decisions and have disciplines and habits that help us keep in step with the spirit and to live as the new creation that God has made us to be. There's periods of life for all of us when we find ourselves stuck feeding this old me. How do we get unstuck? The Bible urges us to run to Jesus, to embrace what he has made us as a new creation. I don't know about you, but I see new creation happening here at Good Shepherd. I see new things happening. I see God wanting to do a new work here. And it's exciting it is exciting, but what God needs is people who make up His church because we are the church, not this building, not this facility. We His people are the temple of His Holy Spirit and He needs us to live like the new creations He has made us. To do the work that He wants to do here. He doesn't need, He doesn't need leadership who can make good decisions. He needs prayer warriors in leadership. He doesn't need fancier facilities. He needs people who will step up to the plate and do the little jobs that no one else wants to with a heart to serve God. He doesn't need better programming. He needs people whose hearts are so turned to the Lord Jesus Christ that they will do anything to advance his mission in the community. So how do you live like the new creation that you are? Where do you start when you need to start new? And maybe... Maybe some of you are asking this question right now in the depths of your heart. Where am I supposed to go from here? This is where you go. You go to Jesus. You just go to Jesus, friends. And if you feel that in your heart, you feel that you could receive that call from him. It's because his arms are already open and he's calling you forward to himself. He's already there with open arms waiting for you. You go to Jesus. You learn to open yourself once again to his life-changing love. You, you read about him in the Gospels frequently. You have to study his word and reflect on what he says to be in communion with him all of the time. And you recognize that he, he is the most beautiful thing that has ever happened to you. And you lay everything else aside and you run towards him. I want to invite you actually today to do something a little bit different. Um, if you would, there's a red binder in your uh, pews in front of you. Um, if you would take that out, we're going to sing a little tune from there by a man named uh, Keith green, who was a man who was on fire from the Lord. And many of you know who he was. He died, I think in the seventies or eighties in a, in a plane crash and his heart just comes out in his music, his heart for the Lord. And so we're just going to sing. It's a very brief song, but it's just going to be a way to respond to God's word and to just take a minute to give our hearts to him. So I invite you to turn to number 50 in the red songbook, And as you sing, read the words. Read the words and let them become your own.